0: Welcome in to the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Have a very, very interesting show for you today, folks. I, I promised you yesterday we were going to give you the type of show that would rival Skinwalker Ranch, that type of paranormal phenomena that would put you on the edge of your seat, and I wasn't fibbing to you. It's uh, It's going to happen today. Today, our guest is Pat O'Connell. She is a communications consultant for high-tech corporations in fields as varied as nuclear power, aerospace, and uh, antibody library solutions. We're going to figure out what that is. I've never heard of that before. She is also a researcher, novelist, and nonfiction author with eclectic interests from science and medicine to history and psychology to metaphysics and the paranormal. And she helps individual clients manifest their own book publication dreams. Through it all, she remains an activist for truth and freedom. Now, she's had an unusual experience through her brother and herself uh, together having to do with a particular area. And uh, let me explain something. There's a book out there called Bleed Through, a true story of aliens, demons, and pure evil in Texas. Okay. And uh, Patricia has written this book and it's, it's kind of a different scenario. I'm going to bring Patricia in now and we're going to talk about this. She dedicates this book to her brother, Jim O'Connell. And in the dedication, I'll read this real quick. We'll bring Pat in. She says to my brother, Jim O'Connell, the compassionate adventurer and experiencer who gave respect, comfort and a voice to countless fellow experiencers around the world And to his family, who gave him love, support, perspective, grounding, and laughter. She also dedicates this to, in quotes, Clay Wheeler. We'll find out why Clay Wheeler is in quotes here. Who delighted in the unknown and yearned to explore it. And to his family and cherished his heart, his ingenuity, and his curiosity. This is the intersection of our life story. So obviously... Clay, Jim, and Pat all come to an intersection together, and I'll give you this much before we bring Pat in. It has to do, like I said yesterday, with a true story with a twist, so shocking you'll never see it coming. It has to do with a Texas aircraft repair shop owner, Clay Wheeler, who witnessed an array of paranormal phenomena at Sparks County Airport that makes the events of Utah's Skinwalker Ranch by comparison, so with that, we're going to bring in our guest right now, Pat O'Connell. Pat, th- thank you so much for being on the show today. We appreciate. it. Well,
1: thank you for inviting me, Tim, and thank you for reading those dedications. I really appreciate that. Absolutely,
0: absolutely, and and so with that, let's let's start to piece this together a little bit now. Clay Wheeler obviously is not the real name of the person in the book. That's right. that's a pseudonym for obvious reasons. We're protecting identity. So we're going to refer to Clay as Clay right. respectfully. Uh, how do we start this story? What what uh, what happens in this?
1: Well, it, for me, it started, for Clay, it started in 2010. But for me, it started, and we can go back to how I pulled in clay story but sure. uh it started in 2015 when my brother called me uh you know my brother jim was an abductee mm-hmm. and he was developing a re- tv reality show about abductees and you know he he found it difficult to get through to production companies and uh people like that, that this isn't about UFOs. This isn't about the vehicles. He said, I don't understand the fixation with the vehicles. (laughs) You know, if, you know, the King of England came to your house, you wouldn't go say hi and walk out the door to see what he drove up in, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, And so uh, he called me uh, and he said that he had this one case. So he was collecting cases from all over the world of abductions. And he wanted, he wanted to respect the experience that these people had been through, whether it was real or imagined or whether it was a psychological phenomenon um, and, and, and it affected their lives. So he wanted to tell their stories and he wanted to give them some kind of credibility, maybe to help them in their lives, maybe have some kind of therapeutic effect or whatever. And uh, so he said, I've got this guy in Texas and my brother was in Connecticut.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he said, he's. He's had so many things happen that are all over the gamut. It's not just abduction. It's, in fact, abduction wasn't even something that Clay acknowledged that was happening to him. I think he was based on the, the kind of descriptions that he had of some of the things that happened to him. But um, he said, I, I can't, it's more like Skinwalker Ranch. He says, I can't tell this guy's story in one hour episode of a TV show. Even if I did a three show arc, I don't think I could cover it all. Would you be interested in writing a book, interviewing him first of all to vet him Mm -hmm. uh, and then maybe write a book or multiple books or a screenplay or all of the above. And I'm like, well, yeah, that sounds interesting. And sure. I'll, you know, I'll go meet with him and vet him. And he said, and by the way, the guy says he's shot and buried an alien. <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa. you know, all the you know, fireworks go off, and I'm like, oh hell yes, I'm definitely in. And and I'm thinking all of this stuff, like this could be this could be the most one of the most pivotal moments in human history. Yeah. Or it could be nothing. But sure, I'm I'm gonna run with it for you. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of where it all started.
0: I got to ask Pat, what's the re- other than the reaction you just gave? So, you got to <laughs> let it mull in your mind for a minute. Shot and buried an alien. What's the scenario that goes through your mind when you think, He shot and buried an alien. What do you, what is, what is the thought that goes through (laughs) your mind versus what reality eventually is? Do you think I'm just going to go out and immediately cut to the chase and go, show me everything? Or do you go, wait a minute, I'm a little trepidatious about this. And do you start thinking about, do government agencies start getting involved? Am I going to start going through security checks? Is my life going to be turned upside down? Are you more trepidatious or are you kind of gung-ho Indiana Jones? I'm getting into this thing.
1: I, I was kind of both. You know, I would kind of bounce back and forth and think, first of all, it could be nothing. This guy could have just, he could be hoaxing. Mm-hmm. He could be just making it up. But on the other side, if he, if he really had, and there, there's a part of me that believes that there there must be some truth in some of these stories that I've heard. I mean, you know, just recently with the David Grush stuff. Yes. Um, you you just can't ignore it all, right? And some of what Bob Lazar talks about, I tend to believe he, you know, he wasn't he wasn't looking for notoriety. Yeah. And neither was Clay. So I'm looking at all these situations, and I'm thinking it might be nothing. If it is something. As you mentioned, you went through the whole litany of some of the things, uh, you know, if we go out there to dig it up, it, it, will the government be there and, you know, men in black and they just take it and hold the flashy thing in front of our face yeah. or they tell you this never happened, you were never here, you know, <laughs> whatever yeah. Yeah. or worse, you know, if we're out there talking about it. if I write about even the fact that the government, yeah, you know, we went to dig it up, they found something, the government came and took it is that going to get me, you know, my bank accounts canceled and my credit cards canceled and, and, you know, my ID stolen, you know, all of that stuff went through my mind, but there was a part of me that was, if there is, is any truth to this, I want to be part of it. And let's just take it as far as we can. So.
0: You know what? If someone were to approach me with that, I, I think I would have the exact same attitude. It'd be like, all right, I'm down. But then what are the ramifications for, ramifications for me? And then the second thing, although your brother's in the business, I got to think that there's the ramifications on family. Yes. And, yes. And that part of it, how did that affect you? I mean, did did, did you think, okay... How does this affect family and what happens if I disappear and what well, do I, I tell them?
1: I had not thought about that. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> I mean, that's still out there because we have not gone out there today. So all of these possibilities are still very real. Now, having said that, um, the situation has really changed as far as government being more open mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the congressional hearings and, the release of some of the Navy videos and and things like that. So I think it's less dangerous for somebody who's talking about it these days. And the the government has gotten a lot better at, um, you know, um, making you uh, discrediting you. So, you know, they could just say, so I, I'm not really not worried about the ramifications on family or the people that are close to me. I'm, I'm more worried about that with my activist work.
0: <laughs> oh, OK. And we could talk about that here oh. a little no, bit. No, no, we don't need to do no? that. But th- okay. th- this is. I ha- I do have a perspective, though, towards the end of the show that will change your mind on that. OK. OK, I won't say it yet, but I'll give you a reason why maybe getting in bed with the government is a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> and still, I mean, and yes. I'll, I'll, we'll hash that up here after we, we talk about the story a little bit. So you get this call from, from Jim. Jim says, this guy's got a story too big to tell for television, obviously, because television gives you 42 minutes if you're doing an hour program. Exactly. And even if you cut it up into a few different episodes, it's still, it's not a very good medium for telling an in-depth story. So he, right. he puts it in your lap, he says, Pat, I want to write a book, uh, or at least get a book together for this guy. Um, the only thing is, is is you can transfer a book possibly to a movie medium? Was that sure. a thought as well that was running through your mind, or did sure. you just think, get it on the page?
1: Sure. I, I mean, that's still in my head. Yeah. You know, there's there's still a possibility. But then in doing that, I mean, I had to leave a whole bunch of Clay's stories on the cutting room floor, as oh, they say.
2: Okay. Uh,
1: so there's still still a whole lot more material. And then, of course, there will be information about my new team's investigation and trying to go out there and find whatever's there. And we're trying to track down witnesses now. Uh, uh, you know, before it was just me. You know, mm-hmm. after my, well, after my brother died, and that's part of the story. Okay. Um, it was just me. And um, so... I didn't really have the bandwidth to, to find these people that Clay had mentioned were witnesses and things like that. So, um, you know, we've got a lot more going on now.
0: Okay. So Jim drops this lead in your lap. What's your first move? Do you contact Clay? Tell him you want to come out and see him. And what is that like when you decide you're going to go out there to, to go see Clay?
1: Well, yes. The, the first thing was to start communicating with him and I mean, he was just a fire hose. It was emails and phone calls. And I've seen this before in especially in activist circles where somebody has a viewpoint or has evidence or whatever. And once they find somebody who's receptive, who Mm -hmm. will listen to them, who will respect them, they just start gushing. Yeah. And that's what we saw Clay was doing. And so he just, I mean, I've got hundreds and hundreds of his emails where he's telling me this story or that story or a piece of this story and a piece of that story, just as he, as he remembered it. Mm-hmm. And, oh, by the way, did I tell you about, oh, by the way, did I tell you about. And that's, that was one of the hallmarks of this, in, in fact, of the book, because there was always this, oh, did I tell you about. And sometimes that's a really big thing that he forgot to tell me <laughs> So uh, my husband and I went out you know after I communicated with him for a while and I you know he seemed sincere. he seemed intelligent um, and so you know we set up a time, a day and a time to to drive out there to meet him. He actually doesn't live at the airport anymore. okay okay Clay used to, when, when all this happened, this was a three and a half year period that all this crazy stuff happened from 2010 to slightly into 2013 he was living and working at this little bitty airport in the middle of texas okay and um he owned a hangar there and the hangar building so on one end was the hangar in the middle was his office and on the other end he had built a small apartment so that he and his wife could live in it while they were saving up money to build a house on some property they bought nearby And so, um, you know, uh, we set up a time to go out there and meet with him at the airport because he was no longer living there. He was now living with his mom and we met him in that town. Um, And so, you know, again, he was, it was hard to keep him on track. I was trying, what I was trying to do was get him to give me an inventory of all the events that had happened. Mm-hmm. And I knew already by that point that it wasn't just UFO, UFOs. It wasn't just even aliens. He had lots of aliens show up there. Yeah. And, but it was also other stuff. So it was poltergeist, poltergeist activity. It was, uh, some kind of possession, it seemed like. Uh, The worst one who was affected was his wife. Um, He saw an angel. He saw what he said was actually twice what he thought was a demon, looked like a demon to him. So, you know, there was a lot going on out there. And I couldn't get him to stay with just this idea of giving me an inventory because he was so eager about he would mention one thing and he had two laptops with him so he would start looking immediately when he told me about one thing he'd start looking on one of the laptops for pictures that he that came you know from that topic and you know so he was jumping around a lot but um it, it was it was really good to meet him. And we, he took us out to the airport, and showed us around. Uh, we couldn't get into the building, so we couldn't see some of the evidence that he said was was there. But um, uh, it seemed to me the stories that he was telling were similar. They had the same feeling as the Skinwalker Ranch, but. To me, it was it was the early Skinwalker Ranch stories. What we see on TV today today is all this scientific stuff. Yes. And you have to take the word for these people that those wavelengths mean something unusual or what they found when the rocket went up meant something unusual or whatever you have. You have to. You have to take their word for the meaning in that or they'll have the hold a gauge up and it makes and it makes a noise like a Geiger counter. But it's clearly an, an electromagnetic field uh, device. So, you know, I'm, I'm wondering how much of this is doctored for dramatic effect. But the olden days, the beginning of the Skinwalker Ranch story, when it was just a couple who were living out there
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they were, you know, they had. Uh, they had cows and dogs and they saw uh, UFOs. They saw uh, an an unusually large wolf. They saw blue lights kind of floating in and out. They had situations where a tool would disappear. You know, he he laid down a, a shovel or something when he was out digging fences and he went back and the shovel was gone. And, you know, there's nowhere for it to go, but, you know, a day later, it pops up in the same place where he left it, or uh, there was a portal. So, these were all things I knew from the Skinwalker story, yes. from the early Skinwalker story, where where human beings observed things. That's what I was hearing from Clay, only in spades. I mean, way more hmm. stuff was happening with Clay.
2: Okay.
1: So, you know, the, the aliens that he encountered there were only a part of this story.
0: Very interesting. You know, I I want to dig a little deeper here, Pat. You you mentioned that there's a few times you mentioned uh, like an angel experience, and then a few times you mentioned demon experiences. We've had a guest on this show by the name of Nathaniel Gillis, who believes that aliens and demons are one and the same, that that the demonic manifest themselves as aliens so that it's a more familiar face but they basically show one and the same and they try to get into your life as, a, and he, he draws the parallels and I can, I can only explain it as this, and I'm doing a poor job of doing it and I apologize, but that they invite themselves almost like a vampire, invite themselves to the precipice of the home. You have to sort of let them in and you do so in a dreamscape.
2: Mm, that's and, interesting.
0: And they come in once they come in and it's much like the incubus succubus type deal there's the probing probing is also a a sexual in nature type deal right sure uh so it could either be a demonic infestation or an alien infestation one or the other they they take the guise of whatever it is they feel is most comfortable at the time and then eventually reveal themselves
1: well, and that's interesting that you mentioned that because um, one of the members of our team found one of the witnesses to Clay's events and I went out and visited with him and he said kind of the same thing, not to the detail, level of detail that you mentioned, but he believes that what Clay was experiencing were demons, were de- it was demonic. He mm-hmm. believes all of the manifestations were demonic, not really? th- that it wasn't, that it wasn't Aliens at all. Okay. The, the, all of the manifestations had something to do with uh, evil forces. And I can't say that's not true.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. And it, it's a compelling theory that, that Nathaniel has. Um, and he's he cross-references a lot of different religious texts when he does this, not just the Bible. Oh. He, he cross-references uh, Jewish texts. Uh, he cross-references uh, Buddhist texts. He cross-references different texts. Uh, like I said, Buddhism... Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember what else he... he. We, we went in-depth. I mean, he... You want to talk about a fire hose. He hits you with the fire hose. <laughs> right. and And... I mean, I can after the show. I can put you in in contact contact with him, or I can give him your contact information if you want to talk to him sure. further about it, and he can kind of fill you in. He himself has had multiple experiences and multiple dealings with these these demonic that disguise himself as aliens.
1: Okay, because I was going to ask, did he perceive aliens?
0: Oh, he has. He's, he's, okay. Them so both. that's
1: interesting. Yeah.
0: And, and he knows their voice, which, it, whoa, what was that?
1: That was a B in my office. <laughs>
0: wow. That just flew right in front of the microphone.
1: It did. So we might have a really interesting show.
0: <laughs> that was interesting. Okay. Um, so I saw that too. That was right in front of yeah. your face. That was interesting. Whoa. Weird. Um, so these, these things, um, That was bizarre. Uh, These things, (laughs) they, they, and he's seen these things change literally from alien to demon. Like, boom. Like their face just. That's cool. Like at one moment you see the alien in front of you and then they turn and then they turn back and the face is demonic. So I'm wondering, did Clay ever mention anything like that? Like he saw at one moment he saw an alien, the next he saw a demonic face.
1: (laughs) No, he didn't, but he did describe something that had four faces on really? it. Really? Okay. So, um, and I can't remember what they were. That that was one of the things that ended up not in the book. Okay. Um, but it was, um, I can't remember what the, but it was an orb, he said, and, and it had four faces on
0: it. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Hmm. So, I don't know what all that is, but, you know, he he did experience things that presented overtly as angelic he had he had one one night he he walked into his living room and there was this bluish light but it was rippling and undulating he, he called he said it was like a plasma you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. energy plasma, but it was blue. And he said, it, 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 he, he he said, it looked like it had the face of an angel, but then he said, he, he stopped himself and he said, well, but it's, it, she's got brown hair and angels have blonde hair. And he thought, wait a minute, whoever said that, <laughs> you know, who's, who says angels have to have blonde hair? You know, it's just kind of this, you know, caricature, caricature that he had in his mind that that's what it had to be. But so, so this bluish, angel figure appeared in his living room and um, and it was there for a while and then this darker figure kind of made out of the same material but it was darker it wasn't the blue and he said it it kind of formed into what he believed to be a demon and then the two interacted it was almost like the, the dark form was um, you know uh, not raping but Performing something awful to the to the blue form to the angel, and eventually it worked out to where the, the angelic form seemed to suppress and push down the dark form. And, and Clay was asking himself because he through all throughout all of this he started out. Uh, he said, "I was about as a relig- religious as a hog when all this started," mm-hmm. but he was raised Catholic. So throughout all of this, he's kind of struggling with his faith and, you know, scientific knowledge, you know, he was a pilot, he was an instructor, he was a mechanic, you know, he had this scientific side, he was an inventor, but he also had this uh, religious background that was lurking there, you know, and, and he finally, you know, he worked through it, but he said, you know, he was thinking, well, was this some kind of a, a, a play acting out forces of good and evil? In terms that I could understand, and that goes back to what you said earlier about these forces, whether they're alien or demonic, um, they present themselves in a way that is most readily accepted by you. And Clay was fascinated with the idea of aliens. He hadn't he hadn't b- been involved in that whole thing before this started yep. but once it started he was fascinated with the notion that there might be real creatures from out there that know things have technologies that are far beyond us and so that was really compelling to him and you know, but there's the darker side that was scary, <laughs> scary as hell
2: mm-hmm.
1: so um you know that this this play that acted out in front of him he interpreted that as you know, was this was this telling me that good will will conquer evil?
0: It was a so, false sense of security. It was to lure yeah. him into a false sense of, of security that he would be all right. Right. And that he right. could trust. And when he did trust, then they could show themselves. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there, uh, it, I, I don't know what to make of any of this to this day. Um, I find it fascinating and um, I, I want to know more. And I would love to see some of this stuff. Some of it, not so much. It was pretty scary. But, there's, you know, there's we went all. and sat out on the runway. Uh, at least, my husband and I, one night, we spent the night out on the runway, just like, come on down. And then the last time we were out there, I stayed all night by myself because I wanted to see something. I wanted my own experience. I wanted something that I could say, I don't care what anybody says. I know this was real. This was not an illusion. This was not a misinterpretation of something else. And there, one of, there's a woman on our team who saw a huge craft Over her barn. She went out at night. She was late feeding her horses. She went out after dark and this thing came down and it took up most of the sky. And she said it was hovering over. It was it was no not higher, not much higher than not even a regular telephone pole, Mm -hmm. but the lower telephone pole that brings the service into your house. And she I, I envy her that experience. I want something like that, where there is no mistaking what this was. I mean, you don't know where it's from. I doubt that we're capable of building something like what she saw, but I wanted my own experience and I still haven't had it. And all of my brothers, all three of my brothers have seen, had seen UFOs. So yeah, I really want my own experience. Now I don't want to be scared to death, but (laughs) I want to see something I can't deny.
0: Well, before we go to break here, Pat, you say all three of your brothers have had that experience. Has it been just seeing the craft or has it been something more?
1: Well, Jim was the only, ha- only one that I know of that had something more, but all three of them saw craft.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, is that something we need to go on the other side of the break to find out what experiences Jim has had? Or do you want to talk about the experiences Jim has had now?
1: Uh, well, Jim believed that he had been abducted for, for a long time. He thought he was having really weird uh, dreams. Okay. And uh, and and it was really he was really struggling with it because it, kind of the same themes themes would come up over and over again. And finally, somebody that he worked with said, "Have you ever considered the possibility that they're not dreams?" And when he started looking at it that way, he found out that his wife was actually having some experiences on the same nights when he was abducted so there was almost a it wasn't a confirmation but like she found leaves in the bed one morning after he said he had had one of these abduction dreams Hmm. and so and then he several years after that he actually talked to whitley streber who i'm sure your audience knows who he is the most famous abductee you know with wonderful books uh, including um, communion he uh, Whitley was on a talk show where they had a call in feature. Mm. It was it was actually the the day of uh, the uh, total eclipse where Mexico had all those mass UFO sightings. Right. And something drew Jim back. He was out. He was out on a call and. The farther away he got from the house, he he felt like I needed to get home. He got home. And then this show was on. Whitley was on it. And Jim said, well, I got to call. I got to call in because, you know, I don't know if I'm having these. I I don't know if I'm having dreams or if I'm being abducted. But, you know, Whitley will know. And um, so he said, I'll try calling in, but I probably won't get on the air. Well, sure enough, he got on the air. And he asked Whitley, he told Whitley what was happening. And he said, you know, the same nights that I have these experiences where I believe I'm being abducted, my wife says, she, there's, a, there's a weird smell in the house. And I, I get this confused, but it was like, she says, um, it, it smelled like wet cardboard. And Whitley says, And Whitley kind of hesitated, Mm -hmm. like he didn't want to address this. And then he then he said, well, that's one of those things we don't really talk about. And I see it as like when when the police have a clue Mm -hmm. that they don't want the public to know, but the the perpetrator will will know that thing.
0: Oh, okay. So you don't want to lead the witness. Yeah.
1: So this was not something that's part of the UFO lore, the abduction lore. But Whitley said, yeah, it's. um, some people describe it as a smoldering campfire okay. smell. And so that was kind of a confirmation that there is a connection, but it was one of those things where it, you're not going to run into it just everywhere in UFO books or abduction books or anything like that, or on TV shows. Nobody talks about that. Now I've talked about it. So everybody's going to wow. hear. It. <laughs> but um, so, so that was really interesting for Jim That that kind of confirmed that maybe I need to to look into this and pursue this,
0: very interesting. I do want to remind people um, that if you believe that you have had an experience where you've been abducted or had a negative experience with an alien, that there is ho- hope out there for you and help out there for you. There's a group out there called Opus, and we'll put the uh, we'll put the link in the description of this program, OpusNetwork.org. And you can get help out there. They've been out there for 25 years and they provided support to experiencers of every kind of paranormal and anomalous phenomena. Not just aliens, but all types of paranormal phenomena. So uh, we'll put that link in the description of the show so that you yourself can go out there and get help. So we'll do that as well in this program so you can reach out and get that help from Opus. When we come back, we'll talk to Pat more about uh, our subjects of this Program and get down to the the nitty gritty of, of what exactly was seen in this area of this uh, this airfield, which which sounds like a strange anomaly. Not just demons, aliens, angels, or supposed angels, um, but all these things that are akin to what you see at Skinwalker Ranch. What exactly is going on there uh, with Clay? Because it seems like Clay and his wife have some interesting stuff going on there. And what is going on with Clay? Is he being slowly turned, or at least his wife and he are slowly being turned or possessed? Because it seems like there's some things that may be leading to that as we go on in time. Our guest is Pat O'Connell. The name of the book is Bleed Through, a true story of aliens, demons, and pure evil in Texas. When we come back, more with Pat O'Connell here on The Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio welcome back to the best in paranormal programming this is darkness radio i'm your host tim dennis our guest is Pat O'Connell, the name of the book is Bleed Through, A True Story of Aliens, Demons, and Pure Evil in Texas. We have a link to it in the description of this program. Highly encourage you to go out and get this book, folks. You want to talk about some interesting, interesting phenomena, an interesting story, and man, a dead alien out in the middle of this uh, area that Pat had the opportunity to at least go out and take a look. Uh, Pat, I'm still... Shaking my head. I mean, when you get a shot at something like this, this is, man, you want to talk about once in a lifetime opportunities. That's once in a lifetime opportunity. So Clay Wheeler is uh, the subject that you're told by your brother, Jim, to uh, put in this book and put in this book you did. There are quite a few chapters here on Clay. To be exact, 55 chapters on Clay. And there's some interesting chapters in here, indeed, um, having to do with clay. And you've described such things as angels, demons, aliens, ghostly activity, poltergeist activity. In the time that you spent with clay, what was the most unusual thing you can think of that happened on that (laughs) airstrip?
1: Wow. Uh, The most unusual. I mean, it's... it's one of those things where the bar is so high Mm -hmm. that there were so many unusual things. Um, it's hard to pick one. Um, I, I think the piece of it that was totally outside my realm of knowledge or experience or anything I had ever read about or heard about before was the, the, Uh, evolution of his wife's behavior. Now he said everybody's behavior changed when they clocked in at the, you know, his employees when they clocked in at the airport. Um, But his wife had been living offsite until he built this apartment. And then she, in the, when all this started, she moved in uh, and her behavior seemed to darken and change. And Clay got sicker and sicker and sicker as time went on through the course of this story. Now, part of it was because his wife was damaging him. <laughs> you know, there were things that happened, uh, things that happened with aliens that damaged him. So, um, but with his wife. Okay. So now I just thought of two, uh, two things. So there was sure. another thing. Okay. And re- remind me of the, the eyeglass case, uh, UFO the okay. ship. Um, but his wife, her behaviors when it started, she was this nice person. She was very mild mannered, and her her behavior became darker and darker. She would start swear. She started swearing. Um, one day, uh, she they were out to lunch and they had had two cars with them, and she had to go back to work. And so he walked her out to her truck, and she was mad she they had a fight and so he was holding onto the car at the truck door and she slammed his hand into the truck door and then she took off she dragged him for like a mile and a half from her truck and he ended up in the hospital he had broken ribs he had both his arms were broken one leg was broken he had all these abrasions so you know this is kind of the beginning of her you know hurting him and um, another occasion, on another occasion, she woke up one morning and her belly was like she was eight months pregnant. Really? And she was and he caught her. He, you know, first of all, he's thinking, what the heck is this thing in your belly? What kind of disease can do this? What kind of c- could you have been stung by something? Uh that can do this. We have to get you to the hospital. Yeah. And, um, but he had seen her earlier. uh, She was, she was in the refrigerator eating meat, raw meat out of the, out of the fridge. It was, it was set out for dinner and he's like, you know, what the heck are you doing? And, And so, but he, he wanted to get her to the hospital and she fought him tooth and nail. And finally she kicked him in the head. He landed on the concrete floor or the, on the tile floor. And it, knocked him out. So she was gone when he came to and she was gone for several hours. He tried to find her everywhere. And, you know, he finally realized he just needed to stay there for her to come back or for somebody to call one of her friends or somebody that he thought she would go to. And then she came back several hours later and her stomach was flat and there was nothing. Now, the third thing with her, and this was really the final thing, she she showed up at at the uh he had had asked after she dragged him he asked her to move in with her sister or you know whatever something's happening something's happening to you at the airport we need you out of here for your own good well she she was no no longer living there now and she shows up at the airport with his snub nose 38 and she starts shooting whoa Yeah. And so she ended up going to jail. Um, Fortunately, she didn't hurt anybody. Um, You know, fortunately, she was a bad shot, Mm -hmm. Uh, although she claimed that she she intended to miss. But um, yeah. uh, So that was the last straw. And he finally divorced her after that. But he found out in that they when the when the police came, they found um, drugs in her truck that belonged to, uh, people at the hospital where she worked. So, and then his mom later found, uh, meth, I believe it was, uh, and the pipe that you'd smoke it with in one of her scrubs. Um, so, you know, that was, that was the, you know, that was it for him. He had to get divorced after that.
0: So well, Pat, I know that it's it's easy to point to the drugs and say, okay, that's what was driving her a little off the edge, and that Maybe. could be the answer for all that weird behavior. But I'm gonna throw another and I know you're gonna say, Well, Tim, it's always demons in this in this scenario. But a lot of the behavior of what you're describing, I know if I were sitting in Nathaniel's shoes right now, he would say, Well, that weird baby bump, there's a there's a phenomenon known as missing baby syndrome. When okay, when you but it's normally a lot, a lot longer than this. Sh- it's uh, right. It's a the lot progression th- is nor-
1: for, normal right.
0: for a pro- for a pregnancy. Right, right. It's a lot yeah. longer, and than then
1: and then it just goes away.
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um Did she ever mention that she had been talking to something that she thought was a spirit or an angel or something like that, or that she had ever uh, engaged in? in pardon my, pardon my use of this term but she had ever engaged in sexual congress or anything like that with a spirit had that ever come up
1: you know if she did he never mentioned it to me okay. and i i would think that he would because i he was mentally processing all this stuff that happened and trying to uh, trying to explain it trying to understand it what could cause this what was this was it uh was it something i can explain through my religious background is it's something that is outside my ability to explain because it's you know alien
0: yeah <laughs> it's completely yeah, alien yeah
1: so he never mentioned
0: it okay because it's just weird the the eating of the raw meat and the, everything it just that that whole thing <laughs> seems outside of just regular drug use it, it sounds like someone who's possessed
2: yeah it yeah
0: completely and, and and
1: that's where he Finally, ended up, he believed that she was possessed. Yeah. Um, And so while he was seeing aliens, he was still feeling like whatever was happening. And this wasn't just at the airport, there were things that happened outside the airport that seemed like uh, that he could explain as possession, where people change their behavior so dramatically. And it just happened, you know, in this three and a half year period. Now, I don't know. You know, I, we haven't tracked down the ex-wife yet yeah. uh, to interview her. No telling what kind of story we'll hear from her. Um, don't know if we can believe her to, you know, if we can trust her to to tell the truth or or what. But you know, it's something we got to pursue, um, and it and and that might provide another interesting perspective on all this.
0: Very true. Very true. Wow. Wow. Um, oh so oh, the other yes, thing the eyeglass case the eyeglass case yes <laughs> the
1: eyeglass case yeah. so it, he saw all kinds of UFOs and and there's uh, pictures that he drew his his drawings were way better than his photographs uh, and he said that um, his best evidence photographic and and video was taken or it it, it was gone when he uh, it, there was a, a raid by by uh, law enforcement of his Mm -hmm. shop and they took computers, they took weapons, they took all kinds of stuff. And he said, when he got it back, a lot of this stuff was missing. Uh, But he had, he had, um, he did drawings. I think it was a MUFON guy. One of the MUFON investigators that suggested that he sketch and he's like, well, duh, why didn't I think of this? Uh, And so he saw Mexican hat shaped uh, craft. He saw pork pie hat shaped craft. He saw, craft that i thought sounded like what uh uh kenneth arnold described so the very first flying saucer descriptions he didn't kenneth arnold didn't call them saucers he he said they skipped like saucers but they were like discs but kind of with a bite out of the back of it so there were all kinds of different different ships but this one was oblong it was like a it was, he said, it was like an eye, hard, shell, hard shell eyeglass case.
2: Hmm.
1: And so it was long and kind of narrow. And that one featured twice. Once it showed up, and um, there were a few people there that he worked with. And he said he would go out there with a laser beam. And if he saw a light moving in the sky, so it's just a dot of light in the sky, but it was moving in ways that he knew. Conventional craft can't move. It's not a satellite. It's not a balloon. It's not an airplane. Um, so he would shine a laser at it, which we're not supposed to do because you right. can yeah. blind pilots. Right. But this was before that. Uh, before then, and he would shine it, and some of these craft would jump. Now, a regular craft can't do. It. An no. airplane can't do that. Balloon can't do that. Right. Nothing can do that. Right. Um, and so, um, this one, one night they were, were working late and he was, he was telling them the people that he worked with, I can show you, you know, I can show you these things. So they all went out with the laser beam and sure enough, they shine it, at this one thing and it jumps, well, they shine it again. He shines it again and it comes closer. So now they can see a shape. It's not just a dot of light in the sky. It jumps closer and he does it again. They're all, wow. And he, he does it again and it comes closer and he hands the, the laser to a friend of his and says, well, here, you try it. And, you know, and the guy was like, no, no, I don't want it. So Clyde, Clyde does it again. And this thing comes in way closer and now it's overhead. When it was a little farther away, they could see like windows or lights on the side. But when it came closer, it was overhead. And all they could see was the underside of it. And so they're all standing out there and this thing is now hovering overhead and Clay's going, do you feel that? And they're all like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he says, well, I'm having this warm feeling like there's somebody just poured warm water into my head and it's going down through the inside of my body. And then as, as he was describing this, Then he started describing he was having, you know, he had this horrible headache. Oh, you know, ow, my head's hurting. And they're thinking, okay, we got to get you out of here. We've all got to get out of here. And they ran him into the, into the building. Mm -hmm. And when it was all over, you know, the, the feeling faded, but he was saying to his friends, I think, I feel like they were trying to communicate with me. He said, it, it was like what I imagine it feels. I met ima- what I imagine a computer feels when it's downloading data. And I just thought that was such a cool description. Yeah. To first, first of all, imagine a computer as a being that feels anything and that this is what it feels to download information. And he, he said, I, I think they were trying to communicate with me. And his other friend said, No, I think they were trying to kill you. So that was the first encounter with the eyeglass case thing. And then the second one was, as time went on, not only did Clay's health go downhill, uh, his business went downhill and now it was down to just him and one other employee. And they were, they were out there one night and the employee comes in and he, Clay was inside. They were going to have dinner together and Clay was inside cooking or something. And so the employee comes in and says, Clay, you got to see this outside between the hangar and the terminal building. This eyeglass case craft was hovering and he said it was it was so low I could reach out and touch it with the bottom of my hand.
2: Really?
1: And I'm thinking, oh, my God, that is the coolest thing in the world. What did it feel like? And he said it felt organic. He said it felt like wet leather. Whoa. I felt like this thing was alive and then it sprayed him and whatever it was that it sprayed burned like hell. And he, you know, his, his employee got him stripped down, hosed him off with the, you know, there's an emergency shower where anywhere you handle, handle chemicals, you you have these emergency showers. So he was, he stripped him down. He's hosing him off. He rushes him to the, to the hospital and Clay said to me that he he said that the the doctors that were on his case were arguing over whether this was a chemical burn or a radiation burn, that it had kind of features of both.
0: So that's part
1: of what I want to do. I want to track down Mm -hmm. these doctors to find out how in the world, you know, what characteristics, if you can remember, and I would think you would, Mm -hmm. can you remember that would make you think that these are radiation burns versus chemical burns. And, you know, so that was the other thing that, that was so outside my sphere of knowledge that, um, you know, it really stood out for me.
0: Well, I might be able to help with that a little bit. And that is when when you talk to most scientists and they try to... And again I'm kind of dumb when it comes to this. I've only heard the the talk back and forth and in my little brain try to try to grasp some of it and there's listeners out there that are much smarter than I am and they'll probably say, "Well, you screwed it up when you were trying to explain it to Pat." <laughs> but in the way that they describe it, the most UFOs use a system of propulsion that has to do with electromagnetic frequency and magnetics. And Mm -hmm. in that, that EMF is radiation. And it's a system of magnetics that uses uses, um, repulsion and attraction. So when it's time to take off, it uses repulsion and uses these system of magnets or magnetic plates to propel itself. Mm -hmm. Well, that magnetic frequency is so strong that it creates a radiation burn, much like... Uh, if hmm. you were to go to a radio tower, okay? There's a reason why uh, engineers get paid a lot of money. It's because, uh, and I have a friend, unfortunately, who passed away a few years ago, um, from cancer, uh, from radiation burns. Right. Um, because wow. there's a lot of radiation up there. And that radiation, of course, is caused by that EMF. That that And, and we talk about EMF, electricity, that's all again a a part of that spectrum and i've heard again and this is this is from people who have gotten too close to craft that there's that Mm. radiation that comes from that craft you can't get to the outside of a craft or they get too close to the outside of a craft and they do get radiation burns
1: that's interesting. Well, and and while you were describing the propulsion, I was remembering what Bob Lazar talked about. It was yes. element one fifteen or whatever it is. It's some element that we we can we couldn't even we make mm-hmm. in yeah. in on Earth. Yep. Uh, when he when Lazar was first talking about what he experienced and what he learned from his research with back engineering, trying to back engineer, uh, alien craft. Um, but I think we have now created it in, you know, super colliders like CERN and whatever. Um, but that's, yeah, I would assume that's going to have some kind of radiation too. So, um, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was just the the combination of things that happened. I, I, you know, I couldn't have, I'm, I'm a creative person and I couldn't have made this stuff up. (laughs)
0: yeah it's i i I tell you the fact that it this living organism spit this and it had to have been a defense
1: well i don't know it it the most likely explanation seems to me like a defense yeah but why was it hovering so low why did it even let him get that close you know, well, was probably it
0: probably because it didn't seem like it was a threat. It didn't have anything defensive Maybe. on it until the point where it comes up and actually crosses a boundary. Maybe, you know, when you. But it, yeah. You know, you when you cross a boundary and actually and much like if you and I are standing next to each other and I give you an appropriate in, a, in a, what you assume is an inappropriate touch. You right. know, you and I can stand next to each other or we can sit next to each other, like, say, at a play or at a, at a concert. But the minute I put my hand on your thigh, well, you're going to slap <laughs> right, me in the face, right? Yeah, right. right. Uh, you never know what an inappropriate touch to a, an organic spaceship is, you know?
1: Right. Well, <laughs> an organic spaceship, I mean, that's outside the realm of anything. Right,
0: right. I mean, you might have touched its under, under things, you know, you that's never know. Right. And if you stroke off a spaceship, Pat, well then you're about to get sprayed. You're right?
1: gonna, you're gonna have to face the consequences.
2: That's
0: right. That's right. You never know where you touched. I'm just saying.
2: That's right. So
0: you know you might have got the intergalactic uh, mace for all I know. That's so, right. Yeah. That's right.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. so um, but I, I, wanted to make sure that we talked about because uh, sometimes I'm I forget to do this. Um, there there was you know there he shot and buried an alien so this is okay yeah this is huge okay why did how did he get there yeah Uh, and so there were there were several encounters with aliens the first one um the first main one was um one night he was he was in his apartment uh his wife was no longer living there Mm -hmm. and um Three o'clock in the morning. He said he woke up at three o'clock in the morning. A lot of people do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, They say it's the witching hour, but, you know, we're not going to get into that. But um, so he's like, okay, I'm wide awake. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'll just call my sister. Well, his sister was working at the time in China. So it was the middle of the day for her. Yeah. So um, he calls her and he's chatting with her, catching up and, uh, you know, kind of hinting around about uh, that he's seen things, things have been happening here. He's kind of telling her, but he knows that I I don't know whether she had a work phone and a personal phone. She, he may have called her on the work phone. I I don't remember, but he's kind of dancing around this stuff and she's telling him, you know, he's saying you wouldn't believe what I've seen. And she's saying, well, maybe I would. So it kind of indicating that she may have seen some weird things in her, in her life. Uh, But, you know, nothing specific. But while he's chatting with her on the phone, he was kind of an ADHD kind of guy, really, you know, antsy. And so he's walking around and just out of, I don't know, just nervousness, he reaches over while he's talking to her and grabs the doorknob for the that goes from the apartment into the office that's between the apartment and the hangar. And he opens the door and he said, this all happened in just a few seconds, but what he saw was burned in his mind. He opens up the door and he said on his left, he saw two gray aliens. They were about three and a half, maybe four feet tall. Uh, both looked identical to him. Uh, and he said that they were all in, they were dressed in silver. It looked like they were spray painted silver. Um, and he said, the weirdest part of it was that when he walked, started to kind of step through the door, they moved out of the way like they were one unit, like a gate. He said, they move like a gate. Hmm. And I've never heard that described in any of the alien encounters that anybody's talked about. No. So again, being a skeptic, I look for those things that you're not going to pick up by watching TV shows. You're not going to pick up by reading a lot of alien UFO books. Right. This was one of those. And so that was the weirdest thing about that, the way they moved like a unit, uh, like a gate. And he said, then he turned to his right and he saw this tall creature. And he said it was as tall as he was, maybe taller. And he was like six foot four, I think. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, he was he was a tall guy. And um, he said the thing had. He said it looked to him it was tan colored. It looked to him like it was naked, but there were no features on it. There were no genitals. There, were, he said, it was like a Ken doll. Okay. So there was nothing there. Uh, but the head was huge. The eyes were large. They, it, he said, they were like baseballs in su- sunk in. In orbits that were too small for the ball, for Hmm. the eyeballs and the lids closed top and bottom. And he said the back of the head had these protrusions on either side, like its brain was too big for its head. And he said he knew right away this was the bodyguard for the two little guys. Okay. And he said when this thing stepped forward. And he said, I don't know if it lunged or it just stepped forward. All I knew, I was scared out of my mind. I dropped the phone, backed out, shut the door. And that's all he remembered. Now, I talked to his sister. She said that what he actually said was, gotta go. (laughs) 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 And then she heard this story later. So that was the first encounter with, uh, with aliens. And then... There were some others that were different kinds of creatures, and, you know, I'm trying to watch our time so that I don't um, go over, but... Um, oh, no,
0: you're fine. You're fine. Go ahead.
1: The, the, um, he saw these little greys again on multiple occasions, but at this point, he's now scared. He's he's scared on the one hand and he's fascinated on the other hand. He wants to know he wants to know them. He wants to know what they know. One night he even packed a bag, sat out on the runway, okay. at, you know, kind of like if you can read my mind, I want you to take me for a ride. I want to. <laughs> and he said he said, I brought only one change of clothes I brought. You know, three pairs of underwear and things like that. But he said, I only brought one change of clothes because I figured they'd give me one of those silver jumpsuits. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he wants the souvenir clothing. If, if, if I was
1: going to be there for any length of time, they'd, they'd give me a jumpsuit. Right. Um, but but he was also scared. So he was carrying guns with him. He had guns everywhere after a while. Because okay. he didn't know what these things could do, sure. and you know it's Texas; everybody has guns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, um, so one night he was in the shop late, and I think the only the other only other person was that was there was his was his secretary, and they thought there was a a little kid in the hangar. You know, it was late; it was dark; it was late, and they saw this little form but they couldn't get a good look at it in the hangar they had planes in the hangar for repair and um so the secretary's like thinking that it's a kid and my god we're out in the middle of nowhere how in the world did a kid get here we've got to we've got to get this kid we've got to find its parents Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and um so they're trying to find trying to get to this this kid and it turns out to be a gray alien and secretary backs off and this then clay grabs a gun so now he's got a gun aiming at this thing and this thing shoots out a blue beam out of its like a chest plate like i don't know it's some kind of technology shot, it was about four inches in diameter. And he said it shot this beam out and it was like a laser beam. It cut through everything in its path. It cut through, you know, part of an airplane, part of a a scaffolding, and it cut out through the outside wall of the hangar. So this is corrugated steel. It cut a hole through the hangar. Whoa! And so now he knows these things can kill. Yeah. These ke- things can do damage. So now he's really scared. So the next encounter with a small alien, he's thinking, you know, these things are really dangerous. Um, and so uh, when when one showed up, there were a couple of employees working with him and it was during the day the second time. And so he shot he shot the thing and it fell and it started to he said it started to outgas and bleed this blue stuff and so he made everybody get out and so they stayed away for a while just thinking you know we should, maybe this gas is poisonous or whatever yeah so they waited for a while and when they went back in the thing was gone but he said the floor was etched with whatever it had bled out and, he, and when we went out there, he told me, if we could get into the hangar, I could show you where the floor was etched from this. Now, being a skeptic, you know, he worked with all kinds of chemicals. Could it have, sure. you know, could yeah. something have etched the concrete? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing left a helmet. And he said it wasn't like a motorcycle helmet. It was like a skull cap. So it was real thin and real small. Um, and he buried that. That was the first thing he buried. So now that's the second encounter with these gray aliens. And, um, the third encounter, he was there by himself. And again, it was just kind of hair trigger thing showed up. He knew it potentially could have this laser beam thing. It could kill him. So he shot it and there it was, it was dead. And so he said it was, he said it was really weird. He said, if you had told me, you know, before all this stuff happened, that I had shot and killed an alien, I had an alien body right here. If you had told me that I wasn't going to just put it in the back of my truck and take it all over the country onto Oprah and CNN and just brag it to the world, show it off to the world, we have this thing. I would have said you were crazy. But he said, in that moment, I felt, you know, this was this was a a living creature, and I needed time. I, I I I my brain was shorting out. What do I do? What I what do I do? So he wrapped it up in a couple layers of plastic bag, put it in a box, <laughs> and he took it to his cousin's restaurant where the cousin had a walk-in freezer. Oh God! <laughs> and he he asked the cousin. He told the cousin they had shot uh, a, a feral hog because in texas parts of texas we have these wild hogs yep and, and they make a big mess and and anybody who wants to shoot them on our property come down, da- come on down <laughs> you know <laughs> um and so you know he and and some people eat them they'll you know they'll butcher them up and and they'll eat them so he asked his cousin if he would just hang on to this until he decided what he wanted to do with it And um, so, you know, time passed and he realized I I need to. And and at that point, his his religious faith was starting to kick back in. Mm -hmm. He had had a priest come out, bless the place. Uh, He put crucifixes over doorways and everything like that. So he was starting to engage his faith in this. He was reading the Bible. And so he said, you know, "I, I really needed to do right by this creature i don't know what it was i don't know if it was evil um but you know if god created it i need to treat it with respect so he brought it back from his cousins and uh, and he buried it and he gave a little you know speech you know some kind of a something yeah uh yeah. didn't he didn't really know what to do but he felt like he had to say some kind of words over the thing and he he buried it with respect sure So that was that was the (laughs) I I wanted to make sure we got to how how we ended up with a with a dead and buried alien.
0: (laughs) No, and that's that's perfect, Pat. Now, let me ask you this. Had any other aliens tried to come back to claim the body?
1: Well, you know, that's a really good question. We don't know. Um, Maybe maybe when we dig the site, there will be nothing. Does that mean there was nothing? Could the aliens have come back? Because the first alien disappeared, or the first one he shot disappeared. Yeah. And he was thinking, you know, maybe it wasn't quite dead. And so the alien paramedics came and got him and took him wherever. So there is nothing to say that aliens could, the alien, who whoever his alien family or his alien team that was with him, when he came, could they have beamed him out of the box or mm-hmm. out of the ground mm-hmm. or whatever? We don't know. So that's certainly a possibility if we find nothing. Now, we are going to try to, you know, if, if we do find a box that he claimed he buried it in. Um, we're going to we've got a, a, a member of our team who is a uh, biophysicist. And so he is our exobiologist. You know, he's got as much experience with uh, extraterrestrial bodies as anybody else that we know of okay. that we know of. Yeah. And so, you know, he's got a protocol for us. We'll be swabbing the inside of the box. We'll be taking samples. We'll be taking samples from everything we whatever we find and see if there's anything unusual about it. But interesting. Um, so but what happened <laughs> another interesting piece is that um, when we were out there, my husband and I were out there interviewing him. I was at the terminal building changing out uh, memory cards or something. And uh, so Clay and my husband were walking on the runway. When they got back, my husband said, um, cause I was talking about how Clay had said that the box that he buried the alien in he he put a lot of screws in it so there would be plenty of metal for a metal detector to find ah. my husband said oh but he told me he buried it in an ammo box now my idea of an ammo box is you know this big this tall and it's made of steel yeah well i don't think you could put a three or four foot tall alien in a box like that but Some people say there are bigger ammo boxes that are metal, um, but there are bigger ammo boxes that are wooden. So my husband says, uh, but he also added one thing. He said, you know, I might've booby trapped it. And so my husband's like, okay, uh, if you did, what would you have used? And he said, oh, hand grenades. Mm. So, now we've got this extra kicker in in the whole mess. And, of course, our team, you know, one of the important things w- was to find an expert in, um, explosives. you know, me- explosives. So we, yeah. we have a bomb tech, a highly, highly experienced um, military bomb, bomb tech on our team. We also have uh, explosive sniffing dogs that we're going to bring down, too. Just to make sure, you know, and then once we get, what you know, once we find a location, once we start digging down, that's going to be in the hands of the bomb tech. He's going to be the one driving the bus, telling us, what do we do next? Because he knows, he's seen IEDs yeah. all over the Middle East. He says, you know, it's always going to be under what you want. Yep. So, yep. it's either going to be under the box or it's going to be inside the box under the body. If there's a body if there's a box we don't even know because the one guy came and he took away the marker that clay put out
0: there okay now i'm going to give you the worst case scenario here pat and then we can let it lie from there what happens if the aliens came got the body and tripped the explosives are you going to have enough dna to swap
1: well you know uh the 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 exobiologist is prepared to take samples of the dirt Okay. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to sample everything now. Will we find anything that's unusual? I don't know. Yeah. That would be the, that would be the coolest thing. And he's actually going to, he's going to analyze. I've got two alleged alien implants, not part of clay's story, but part of my brother's story. Okay. So one was removed from my brother and another one, an abductee, removed from her own arm wow so our guy wants to examine those but he wants to examine those in a way that yes looks at the biology but he wants to also look at the functionality does it emit electromagnetic frequencies yeah you know does it have a function can it control people you know can you know does the implant control you make you do things is it just a gps you know is it something else is it just you know who, who knows what it is
0: interesting interesting yeah indeed. indeed um before we start to wrap things up there's one note here that i want to i want to dive into and it has to do with an alien laser attack followed by it, it, was that a laser attack before the two shootings of the aliens the laser attack yeah
1: well that was that was the alien that had the blue beam that, okay that okay shot, So that was the blue shot out okay of the,
0: okay, yeah. okay all right so uh, let's forget about that um so just before jim was going to go to texas to excavate the site he had his heart attack correct? yes
1: yeah um he was he was saying you know he had been trying to get permissions and whatever he needed to get to to film and he you know he was not he was not admitting that they were looking for an alien body. He was just getting permissions to film
2: Mm -hmm.
1: in that County. And, um, and it was, you know, they were dragging it out, dragging it out. Finally, he said, you know, I'm just coming down and I'm going to bring a film crew, small film crew with me. And he was going to interview clay and, uh, and dig up whatever was there to dig up. And uh, you know, right before he came down, I got a call in the middle of the night and it was my niece. And she said, you know, he's dead. And, um, that was, uh, that was a shock. That was a complete shock. And, you know, some people, especially people who were, who knew him, uh, have asked me if that was suspicious. Um, and I'm like, you know, you could, you could question that because he was delving into something that some people wouldn't want known, but but I found out from my sister-in-law that he had had, <clears throat> excuse me, I, mm-hmm. I knew he had had uh, AFib, yeah. atrial fibr- fibrillation. Yep. Um, and he found out that there were a, comp- a couple of enzymes that you could take. And he finally got those balanced and the AFib went away. I thought that was all. I found out from my sister sister-in-law later on that Jimmy actually, when he had gone in, for you know, f- for the the initial test to find out what this was going on, um, they found an indication that he had had at least one previous heart attack, oh, and oh. they wanted him to come back for more tests. And he had told her, "Well, I'll go to Texas first. Yeah, no, no. no. And when I come back, I'll get the full tests. and it, And obvious that obviously that was too late. Yeah. But so so now. You know, here's here's Clay and I and we're still corresponding. We're still talking on the phone. Um, we're still going out there periodically. Um, and but, I, you know, we didn't know what to do. I couldn't replace Jim. I couldn't step into his shoes. I couldn't. There's no way I could have done a TV show. Right. Especially not wrangling all the the dramas and the ins and outs of, you know, the money people and financing and you know, whatever. Um, but I, I knew I could write a book. So I was trying to gather information from clay to get, um, you know, tell me, tell me what your normal life was like. Mm -hmm. Um, so that I could, I could tell your story. I can, I can show how your normal life was disrupted by these crazy events. And so he was trying to tell me that. And he, he gave me some really, some charming, background stories about his life. Um, and then it was about a year after Jimmy had died. And I felt like, you know, my sister-in-law, my niece, they were so broken. This just took them so by surprise. Jimmy was so vital and vibrant and full of energy, full of, I mean, he was, he was into so many other things beyond just this. And, um, so i felt like i had to do something for him mm-hmm. so i made a video a memorial video and it's on the main page of of the website experiencers.com okay. and um so i made the video and i sent it out i, I said i emailed the link out to everybody i knew and then i put it on facebook so that anybody in that community that he, cause he contacted people all over the world. So I wanted them to be able to find that. And I didn't hear back from Clay. And I knew that he and Jim had become close. They were kind of like brothers. They would fight sometimes. and but, but Clay felt like Jim was the only one who really got him. He felt like this, this was my one person who understands what I'm going through, who respects what I'm telling him, no matter how wacky it is. Um, and I didn't hear back from Clay and I didn't hear, and I didn't hear, and that was unusual because he and I had been corresponding on a regular basis, probably at least once a day, if not mul- multiple times a day. Okay. So I contacted his sister, I emailed his sister and I said, is he okay? I sent out this thing and you know, I'm a little worried I hadn't heard back from him. And she said, no, he's not okay. He's been in the hospital for a month Oh, and he has multiple organ failure mm. and, Flesh-eating bacteria, and if he survives, they're going to have to remove, or they had already removed huge patches of his skin. They were going to have to do massive uh, uh, transplants or whatever to, you know, tr- to replace those those pieces of skin. And then the next day, she emailed me that he had died. Mm. So now I, here I was left with. All this material. Yeah. My brother's gone. I can't I can't do a TV show. Clay's gone. I can't really tell you what his normal life looked like. All I knew were bits and pieces of these crazy stories that happened to him. Yeah. So I sat on the material for a long time, mm-hmm. not really knowing what to do with it. And then finally I said, you know, I have to. I have to do something. I can at least write the book. Yeah. So um, that's that's what I did.
0: And that's where we are. Yeah. And, and, and like I
1: said, there's still a whole lot of material that isn't in the book.
0: Well, that brings me to this question then, Pat. So is there a chance that there's a follow-up here? That there's a sequel? That there's oh, yeah the stuff that, that's on the cutting room floor? Maybe there's an, an addendum or, or a second, a second I'm book? I'm
1: thinking... I'm thinking there may be. Uh, I thought maybe I thought there would only be one, and that would be just because some people um, didn't like the fact that I fictionalized it. Okay. I created fictional characters. I mean, other than Clay and his wife and his mom mm-hmm. uh, and his sister, and you know the the core cast. Um, and I created fictional day to day scenarios you know, the, the work, what, what, was work like? What was your life like when things weren't weird with your wife? So I, I creatively imagined those things. I created characters that were, that that played the role of the witnesses he told me about, but weren't any of them. So just, you know, I, I made up a character that was like his best friend. Sure. And so that best friend took some of those, those characters. Um, but for people who didn't like the idea that it was fictionalized, uh, even though it was built around—I mean, the the crazy stuff that happened—I didn't make up. Right. <laughs> you know, the most creative stuff I did not make up. All I made up was the boring stuff. Right. And right. so, um, you know, so, um, and my mind just went blank.
0: <laughs> Oh no! Is there <laughs> enough material to do a second? Yes, so yes. You, so, yeah. so
1: I thought for those people, um, just giving them a book that had his his emails mm-hmm. raw, so no no interpretation, anything. Just give them all of that because that's a lot of material. Yeah. Uh, and then I think there's another book or a documentary, possibly even a mini series, with our investigation. Because we've got so much going on. And, you know, we've got, we're, we're tracking down witnesses. We're going to go out to the site with technology. So we're going to have, we've got ground penetrating radar. We've got metal detectors. We've got uh, uh, LIDAR. Not that it's really, LIDAR is not really going to help us a lot. Um, we're going to go out there with um, chemical detectors because being the skeptic, I wanted to find out. Is there a conventional explanation for what these people experienced? Was there some, was there radiation? Was there some kind of chemical release? Um, There had been a a drilling rig on the South end of the runway for maybe six months. I think it was an exploratory rig. Okay. And they apparently didn't find anything. So they pulled it out. Well, now there's a sinkhole that has to be filled in periodically. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking, could they have tapped into a pocket of some kind of toxic gas it's possible and so because or could they have maybe that or a combination of something could they have tapped into a water line mm-hmm. and some kind of toxic material is getting into the into the water that was supplying not only the people at the airport but the people in the area, because like I said, there were other events that happened to, to at least one that I know of that happened to people uh, around the airport. So, you know, we're going to have uh, sensors. We've got uh, a guy, we've got a fantastic crew. We've got, you know, we've got the the, uh, the bomb tech. We've got the bomb sniffing dogs. We've got a real investigator, a real criminal investigator who does um, a polygraph, testing. Mm -hmm. We've got our exobiologist uh, and we've got this drone guy who has technology out the wazoo that he can put on the drones or on the ground. And so we're hoping to uh, do this massive investigation to find out what could have caused um, this, these experiences that people had in a, in a conventional way. But, you know, there there's also the possibility that there is unconventional stuff out there yeah there could be uh, more than we even know so we're going to go out there with you know guns blazing (laughs) in some ways Uh, and and as you kind of alluded to earlier there's always the possibility that we find something and the men in black show up and flashy thingy.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right.
1: Mean, <laughs> this never happened.
0: Meanwhile, that second book, like you said, you could compile, compile all the emails and simply just name it Diary right. of a, to- a Tortured Soul. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, really. And, and put it out. Um, it, And it would be, a f- it would be a phenomenal read just to, just it, to It narrate, really is.
1: I mean, just the, the stories the that he told and his just remembering things here and there. And also, other things that he was looking for. So once all this stuff happened to him, he opened his mind. You and I were talking about this before. Mm-hmm. It opened his mind. And I've seen this happen where people who have a very real experience, um, unusual experience. Now they they open their their minds to every unusual possibility. Yes. And it takes a while for them to bring that back down to where they can discern uh you know, really extraordinary things from, oh, this, I'm just misinterpreting things. Yes. And so, um, yeah. So the, the things that he talked about, I mean, he, he went, he went off the deep end really after, after he moved out of there, uh, reading everything he could about UFOs and aliens and all kinds of weird stuff. But he was also getting into conspiracy theories that may or may not be true. And he was asking me, for perspective. And, you know, I try to help because like I said, I'm a skeptic, but I also know that there are real bad things or conspiracies that, that happen that are, you know, public knowledge now. Yeah. Uh, and there are, I'm sure that has not stopped. Um, there are real, real conspiracy things going on. People do conspire to do things, um, behind the scenes or to other people that they don't
0: tell them about. Very true. Very true. The book is Bleed Through, A True Story of Aliens, Demons, and Pure Evil in Texas. It's written by Pat O'Connell. Again, uh, we have a link for it in the description of this program. I encourage you to go get the book and give it a good read because it is quite intriguing. There's a lot of good stuff in it, folks. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy it. And by the way, we will also put up a link to Experiencers. Uh, so you can check out the website as well and see that video that uh, that pat is talking about that uh, loving memorial to jim o'connell that is up at the website also we will put up a link to opus the opusnetwork.org in case you have had an experience yourself and you want to get help with that as well pat i want to thank you so much for being with us today
1: well thank you so much tim this is great this has been fun
0: It's been a lot of fun, and I greatly appreciate you sharing your story, Jim's story, and Clay's story as well today.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you for doing that as well. Well, it's been my pleasure, and thank you so much. I want to thank our guest, Pat O'Connell, for joining us today. The book is Bleed Through, A True Story of Aliens, Demons, and Pure Evil in Texas. It's available right now, and we have a link in the description of this show so that you can go ahead and order the book. I tell you, folks, it is a wild adventure. You have to order the book. You have to read it for yourself. This show doesn't even do it justice. It is is a wild ride. We'll put it that way. Uh, Order it, give it a good read and let me know what you think of it. Email me, tim at darknessradio.com Even though it is written from the fictional perspective of a quote-unquote best friend, every story in it is true. It is true. Folks, I tell you, I'm blown away after today's show. I think I need a nap. (laughs) I think is what I need. I'm going to take a nice nap after today's show and try to rest recuperate and get my bearings in the universe. I think that's what I'm going to do today. I want to thank everybody for continuing to be great listeners of the show. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. This is your homework for this weekend. If you're enjoying the show, if you're enjoying everything that myself, Bruiser Malley, and Jessica Freeberg is bringing to you on a weekly basis, uh, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell somebody you love to, Download the show and try it. And if you tr- if you like it, you've tried it, you like it, subscribe to it and become a, a family member of Darkness Radio here. Appreciate it if you could do that for us this weekend. That's the one thing I want you to do this weekend for us. Spread the word on Darkness Radio. Let them know that uh, even if they've tried it before and they might have gone away from the show, maybe something might have turned them off about it, tr- invite them back. Invite them back and have them try it again and tell them, hey, you know what? It's a new day over here, and and uh, give it a try. Give it another try and tell us what you think. I'm uh, anxious to see what it is. Uh, if they have maybe had a, a negative experience with the show, uh, have them email me, tim and I'm anxious to see what it was that they weren't so hot about. And uh, I'd like to take it on one-on-one. It's the kind of guy I am. And uh, not in a negative way. Not in a negative way. I'm just curious as to what it was they were anxious about or didn't like about the show and decided to leave. Uh, because in the end, what I'm trying to do is, is build a stronger show. And I'm uh, I'm open to suggestions as well as to things that you would like to hear on this show. I'm always looking to bring you guests that you're open to and want to hear on this show. Uh, a lot of times as broadcasters, when we sit down and we're putting a show together, we feel like we're broadcasting into the ether. And that's not what we're doing at all. We're trying to put together a show based on some, uh, on some metrics that we get based on what you email us and, and wh- how you interact with us, especially on, sh- on social media and whatnot, uh, as to what we should program for you. I only have so many metrics that I can put together to figure out what it is that you guys like. It's up to you to get back to me and tell me what it is you really want to hear. So. Uh, Tim at com. Let me know. Or you can go to uh, darknessradioshow.com, our website, and you can drop me a note there as well. So, I'd like to hear from you either way. I'd appreciate it. Also, parashare stories. So, if you have a parashare story for us, go to darknessradioshow.com as well. You can drop me a note there, or you can write me an email, tim at darknessradio.com, send your written out email there. Or if you go to darknessradioshow.com, there's that blue button on the right hand side. You can click that blue button. You've got two minutes to leave a voice note. If you need more time, click on it again, leave us another two minutes, and so on and so on and so on. Rinse and repeat so you've got your story out, I'll stitch those two-minute voice notes together, and we'll put your lovely voice on air uh, like we did Grim Goblin Jack this week. We, a beautiful, beautiful parisher, by the way. We appreciate that. So thank you very much, Jack. I think that's going to do it uh, for this weekend. Again, I'm up at KNSI this weekend. So if you'd like to listen between 7 and 9 a.m., I'll be doing something other than paranormal, just sports and weather and trying to wake up on a Saturday morning. You can feel free to listen in. KNSIradio.com. We'd greatly appreciate it. And a reminder, too, just to be a light in someone's darkness this weekend. Just, if you can, you have a few spare moments. Help somebody out this weekend. We're getting closer to the holidays. If you've got an extra $5 you want to throw on a red kettle or a $5 you want to throw into a charitable donation to someone you know will go to help somebody in the holidays here it's it's needed and appreciated at this time of year if you want to help get meals together for holiday meals for people that are less fortunate that's a great thing to do this time of year as well warm coats and hats and mittens for people that may be struggling this time of year as well greatly appreciated anything you can do I know uh, we try to sustain this this movement all year round, but especially now, it's it's definitely needed. And I know that you out there as a Darkness Radio listener go the extra mile, and I appreciate you for that. So, if you can do that this weekend, we greatly appreciate it, and thank you so much from the bottom of all our hearts. I want to thank uh, Jessica Freebird for filling in this week. Thank you so much, Jess. It's greatly appreciated. I love seeing you last weekend at the uh, winter or Winter Wonderland. Uh, expo I, I i'm messing up the the name of it but I want to thank the gurneys as well for having me out there as well in Shoreview this past weekend and uh, beer city Bruce you know he I want to thank him as well he he really did fight through the tail end of covid to get on this week and be with you guys um I know we've all suffered with covid we know what it feels like it's not it's not a nice trip especially when you're you're battling some extra um, extra pounds put it that way um, and and you're trying to work out at the same time you know Bruiser still keeps himself in really good shape and wrestling shape and when he's trying to go to gym on top of breathing and wheezing and trying to catch his breath it's not a good thing and then he's trying to get on the show and, and entertain at the same time so I appreciate the fact that he's he's pushing his body to try and get here and I appreciate that as well he has no idea still has no idea uh, and I, I appreciate you th- for that, brother. I appreciate you more than you know. Speaking of, I'd like to get this kid paid eventually. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're gonna post uh, from our T-shirt shop, which is going to be at Pro Wrestling Tees. So that's coming up here uh, probably next week. We may have one or two designs. So I want you to look out for it. We'll have a link from darknessradioshow.com. We'll also put it up on our social media sites where you can order those shirts from. So uh, if you would, and you'd be so kind, feel free to order merchandise. I'll put up as much merchandise as I can. And uh, let's just put it this way. Every little thin dime I have goes to paying my co-hosts. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with them. So uh, let's keep our co-hosts around, shall we? Please uh, help me out. Help me to help them. That's what we're doing with that money. So that's about it uh, for Beer City Bruiser, for Jessica Freeberg, for Mally Fox, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for tuning in and being a great listener and a great contributor to this family called Darkness Radio. We'll be back with some more great shows next week. Thank you for listening to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio.